1: they know we are Christians by our love. By our love, yes, they no, no, we are Christians by our love. All oh, praise to the Father, from whom all things come, and all praise to Christ Jesus, God's only Son, and all praise to the
2: Our Gospel reading this morning is from the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter. Jesus is speaking. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. The thief comes only. Let's see. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I need to mention that uh, Ryan Nichols is here. And he is, I believe, collecting money for for the fire department. Is that right? Door prizes, if you have
1: any or some of the uh, desserts you
2: want to donate. Any way you want to donate, helping out with desserts or door prizes, see Ryan afterwards. Well, last week, we spoke of Peter's announcement of what to do to be saved from God's wrath. First, accept that Jesus is indeed God's Son. Jesus, in some way we don't fully understand, is God in the flesh, walking on the earth. And then, once we realize this, and realize that we have ignored or disobeyed Jesus' teachings, we need to repent, rethinking our relationship with Jesus and God and who they are, and then be baptized to forgive our sins. We receive the Holy Spirit, which guides us into all truth, and we can then say that we have been saved But we also spoke of the necessity of realizing that there is more to the Christian life than just basking in the warm glow of our salvation. For God wants us to grow closer to God's Son, following Jesus down the path of holiness. And God also has an individualized mission for each of us. And if we follow the path of holiness and listen to the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, which you know is both the Bible and Jesus Christ, And if we jump into the individual mission that God has for each of us, then we will have life. And that life will be abundant, as Jesus said. Now many people have read one or more of the four Gospels, the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each one of them is different, aimed at a different audience. Mark is the shortest and simplest Gospel, written for a Roman audience of practical people, It focuses on Jesus' actions during his life. Mark, who was probably John Mark, a relative of Barnabas, was likely a teenager during Jesus' ministry and got much of his source material from Peter. On the other hand, Matthew follows the same outline, much the same outline as Mark, but Matthew added many prophetic references from the Old Testament to help his book be more persuasive to those who knew the Old Testament like a Jewish audience. Matthew, whose name actually means disciple, was likely the tax collector also known as Levi. Now Luke didn't meet Jesus during his ministry, but joined up with Paul and traveled with him, eventually going to Jerusalem and interviewing the core disciples as well as Mary, Jesus' mother. He attempted to write what he called the most comprehensive account of Jesus' life by adding to what Matthew and Mark had written with what he had learned from the interviews. And then John who called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. John filled in the gaps later on, years later, focusing on what he considered the most important events and teachings of Jesus to show that Jesus was indeed the Son of God and should be listened to. Now, if you've not read these Gospels, I suggest you take time to read them. For most people, any of the Gospels can be read in an afternoon or an evening. And I suggest you start with the Gospel of Mark. And so, where do we go from here? That was the question that the apostles asked in prayer after Jesus returned to heaven. Thankfully, the Bible includes instructions and examples from what they did. Luke actually wrote two books, you see. Naturally, the first book was the Gospel of Luke, which covers the time up to and just after Jesus' resurrection. His second book is, is the sequel, the acts of the apostles which covers the events of the next 20 years or so focusing first upon peter and then upon paul as they deal with jesus's resurrection and then his return to heaven and along the way there are many many bit players who have just a paragraph or two talking about what they did acts begins with jesus returning to heaven 40 days after the resurrection and then the disciples a hundred and twenty of them, not just the twelve, but a hundred and twenty of them, returned to Jerusalem as Jesus asked, to, asked them to await Jesus' gift of power. And over the next ten days, they took a few minutes to replace Judas, the betrayer, with Matthias to become the twelfth disciple. And then on the morning of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes upon them all, and a large crowd assembles, Peter preaches a powerful sermon to the crowd, and over 3,000 people repent and are baptized and become Christian believers. It's just after that that our first reading describes the early church and how they lived in the months after Pentecost, and there's a lot here for us to learn about how to live Attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's important and worthwhile for our understanding of the Christian life to examine this passage carefully because it talks about a golden age in the church. Remember The members of the early church had already believed that Jesus was Son of God. They had repented and they'd been baptized, a lot like most of you. And so, yes, they had been saved by our common American understanding of the term. And now they were waiting for the return of Jesus. So what did they do? Well, first of all, Luke tells us that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It was important to them... That they learned what Jesus had taught by listening to the apostles, the twelve men who were formerly known as disciples. This wasn't a casual listening and teaching. They intensively studied and listened to what the apostles taught. It wasn't casual because they understood that no one knew when Jesus would be returning. They simply had to understand because they had to tell everyone that they loved and they had to get it right and so they devoted themselves. It became a critical part of their lives, just like those students down at Asbury University earlier this spring went to the Revival Auditorium every chance they got. Of course, today, most people really don't expect Jesus to return soon. There have been many false alarms As my 25-year-old son Andy says, he's already lived through the end of the world six times. We've waited so long that we've become casual about Jesus' return, as if we'll get a 30-day warning, and then we'll get serious. But one day he will return. I realize that you may be ready to go, but are all your children, your grandchildren, your parents ready? Is your best friend ready? Can you explain Jesus to all your friends and relatives? Or are you going to rely upon me or several television preachers and some Facebook posts to do that? How important is it to you to go to heaven and to have your loved ones there with you? No, there are certain things that the early Christians did and we should be doing and one of those things was to learn what jesus had had taught and said and their devotion to the teaching is all the more amazing to us when we consider that few could read or write education for most consisted of what we would call a a first grade education and work for survival work in the fields to just survive took about 10 or 12 hours a day the second thing the believers did in those days was to spend time in fellowship in the sharing of meals, particularly breaking bread together, and in prayer. It allowed them to discuss everything they'd learned with each other and with God. And the result was that everyone was filled with awe at the power of the Holy Spirit working through the apostles as they shared those stories of the great things happening. The believers were together, and they had everything in common. If you needed a tool... I had, go ahead and use it. If you were starving, I'd give you some of my food. If you needed a pair of shoes, I'd give you my extra pair. Does anybody have an extra pair of shoes? In fact, if the needs of the group were strong enough, some people would sell extra property and possessions and give the funds to anyone who needed money. Sounds like a great church to belong to, doesn't it? Every day they met together at the temple. They shared meals together we can see that no one was lonely or left out because everyone was always coming together for much of the day. People didn't go off into their little homes to hide from other people like we do today. Instead, they came together every day for hours. Now, you may think that that's kind of extreme. And yes, they were extreme about it. But the church grew tremendously at that time most people don't realize this but you know christianity was not meant to be a religion of hermits even those early monks that went into the desert a couple of centuries later they didn't go there to be alone they went into the heart of the desert to join with others in groups to learn to fellowship to share meals and prayers together The idea that a Christian should go off alone, it's a recent invention, borrowed from Hindu and Buddhist practice. It's not a Christian idea. We're to be in this together, lifting each other up. Every once in a while, like you, I'll run into someone who says, I'm a Christian but don't attend any church. I can read my Bible and pray at home just as well. And I don't have to deal with organized religion. In fact, I don't like dealing with organized religion. Well, here's a little story on that. I once knew a teenager who worked diligently on his sports. He shot hundreds of basketball shots every day at his home hoop. He threw baseballs and footballs at his barn door trying to improve his aim and his power and he ran up and down his farm working on his running speed and his endurance. But he was never, never able to join a football or basketball or baseball team because there was one reason. He wouldn't go to practice. And so he never was heard from. Let me break this open a little bit more. The person who says that they can be a solo Christian, has missed a major part of the purpose of Christ's visit on earth, which was to teach us how to love each other. And if we're honest with ourselves, when we avoid the other people, when we stay away from other people, we're staying away because we don't want to love them. Isn't it like learning to play football without a common practice time together? Sure, we can learn to throw a football by ourselves and we can get very good at throwing long and accurately, but how do we realistically practice without a receiver? And how do we practice without a scrimmage when really big, fast guys are running up into our faces? We try to hit a fast-moving guy running down the field who's being chased by a couple other fast-moving guys who want to intercept the ball. How do we realistically become a Michael Jordan if we don't learn to shoot? with a seven-foot-tall guy putting a hand in our face while we shoot? How do we learn to pitch without a good hitter that we need to try to throw past? Now, the the only way to truly learn to love people, as Christ commanded, is to be around other people, learning to speak with them, taking their blunt and rude statements, listening to them complain and compliment others. We need to join together to have our misunderstandings corrected by others who have a deeper understanding of what what Scripture means. Being together is a key part of what it means to learn to be a good Christian. Otherwise, our Bible reading at home, even our prayers, are just throwing the football at a barn door. For those people who want to be solo Christians, they've mistaken a skill for the game. Our goal as Christians is to learn to follow Jesus on the path to holiness, learning how to love God and love other people. Prayer and knowledge of Scripture are necessary skills for this. But they're not the only skills we need. Indeed, they're only the most basic skills we need. It's like the way putting on our shoes and tying our shoelaces and learning to walk are necessary skills for hiking a trail. But they're not what we learn by hiking a trail. Christians who avoid churches are simply learning how to walk the first mile on the holy path. For that's all we can learn on our own. We need to have companions on the holy path to climb the rough sections and see the best views. That's why we have Bible discussion groups. That's why we come together on Sundays. That's what you need to tell your friends who want to stay by themselves. And so the early Christians were were together every day, eating meals together, listening to the apostles teach about Jesus. Not just one apostle teach, but all the apostles were teaching. And they were praying together. And they were constantly sharing the news of the great healings and joys and the miracles that were happening together. They did not hide in their homes. And here's their outreach program. They praise God. Have you ever considered how often we modern people ignore the great things that God has done? The zebra cakes that have been donated to us. Have you ever considered how we take credit for God's gifts to us? Have you considered how rare it is for people to praise God to other people? How often do you praise God to other people, not in the church? Let me explain. Weather outside, is beautiful. Oh, it may be warm and sunny or it could be rainy or it could be cold and killing the bugs or it's snowy and the trees are covered with beautiful beautiful cotton fluff. Today, of course, it's raining and cold. And we'll say to each other, nice weather we're having, isn't it? We just implied the weather's part of the scenery. that God had nothing to do with it. Why not say, hasn't God given us great weather today? And then we've praised God and given God credit for something God was heavily involved in. Have you noticed how close the word praise is to prayer? Or you're running behind for an appointment, but traffic flowed well and you didn't get stopped by a single traffic light, and so you made the appointment on time. How about giving credit, especially if you prayed to God to stretch your time? And you can do that. I've done it many times. God arranged good traffic and all the traffic lights to get me here on time. You say that to the reception as you you check in 30 seconds before your appointment. You've just praised God and you've given God credit as we should have. You're walking along with a friend and you see flowers. Praise God for the flowers to your walking partner. You see someone with a couple items at the checkout and you've got a buggy full. Now, I remember a time when I would have just gone ahead because I was next in line, and that was my right. But today, after Jesus has worked on me for years, I'd let the other person with a couple items ahead of me, and they'll say something like this, Thank you! And I can honestly say, God told me you needed to go next. And I now give credit to God where the credit is truly due. Go back and think about every compliment that you receive. Wasn't God responsible in some way for the good things you do, for the gifts you have, for the knowledge you have? Give God the credit and the praise. Now, if you begin to praise God for all the good things in your life to your friends, neighbors, and family, the first thing that'll happen is they'll look at you pretty strange. They'll think you've got extra ears. But, you will be doing an important role, an important part in changing this world for the better. For every time you praise God or Jesus to someone, you're advertising God and Christianity in this world people begin to think just a bit more about God. It becomes just a bit more socially acceptable to talk about Jesus in public. And the people you've spoken to become just a little bit more open to learning about Christianity because they've seen God or Jesus demonstrated in you in a good, pleasant way. And you will have learned a new skill that takes you up the holy path. And then there is... Another couple of effects. There are a couple another other effects. You are, if you're always praising God, you'll begin to see God at work in the world around you more often. And that will raise your spirits. It's very hard to say sad or depressed when you see God at work in your life. If you've ever wondered why my wife is so happy most of the time, it's this effect because she can always see God at work in her life. She has practiced for so long. But like all happens, it does take a conscious effort to throw off the old ways of looking at the world and begin seeing God doing great things in the little things. And it takes practice to tell people about God's actions by praising God. But if you will praise God, always looking for a reason to praise God, you won't be disappointed and you'll see a lot more joy in your life. The other effect is that people will begin to look at you as someone who knows something about God and Christ. And you know, if you've been sitting in church for 10 years, you've heard 500 sermons. You you ought to know something about God and Christ by now. After a while, those people... When they hear you, they'll begin asking you questions about God, which will open doors to speaking about God even more with them. And soon you'll be having half-hour discussions with them about what God and Jesus have done in your life. And the next thing you know, they'll be sitting beside you right here some Sunday morning. Why will they come? Because, you see, people need to see God's presence before they are interested in church. If your friends and acquaintances recognize in the praises of God that you give a person who's walked a long way down the holy path, they will be attracted. They will see in you a pleasant, joyful person who knows something about God. And that's a person almost everyone wants to imitate and be near. After all, that's why we are to imitate Jesus. The Christians that you hear about that chase people away... They're the complainers. They're the ones who are negative. But if you are praising God, it's really hard to complain. It's really hard to be negative. The more we praise God, the more our faith in God will grow and our focus upon God will improve. We'll be closer to Jesus and closer to God on the holy path. Let me tell you a story. The other night, we decided to go out to eat and we met a friend there and we talked to that friend for a while and we found that that friend, that friend had been having a terribly rough week. In fact, in the last couple of weeks, that friend said that they had considered committing suicide. We talked to our friend there for a while. A little bit later, our friend left and we were still finishing up dessert and Sondra happened to notice a woman sitting there who... W- was sitting alone, and she just said, I love the way you have curls in your hair. Well, that opened the floodgates. The next thing we know, she's spilling her entire life story to us, and we're listening, and we're leading her to Christ. She knew Christ a bit, but we were helping her out, leading her farther. When you talk about Christ, when you talk to other people and praise God, People are attracted to you because so many people don't want to talk. They don't want to be around other people. If you want to be around people in a positive way, they will be attracted to you and they will talk with you. And eventually, you will have a new friend who maybe one day you can bring here. But that's not the reason we do it, is it? We do it because we want to help those people. We want to help ourselves by becoming more like Christ, who always had time for everybody. In the early church, the Christians didn't have any sort of outreach program that the church growth people of today would recognize. They didn't spend money on this. They didn't have to have strong backs. Their entire outreach plan was simply to praise God and tell people about all the good things that God had done in their lives and the lives of their friends. Luke tells us that there was a result. They enjoyed the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So go and do likewise. Praise God to everybody you meet this week.